When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. The Unholy Trinity podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 88 of the Unholy Trinity podcast, brought to you in partnership with Fan Hub of the Fans Come First and also Vici Clo, our local business sponsor. I'd like to say Peter's back from Abseiling down the Cathedral uh, last weekend. How, how did it go, Pete? Yeah, pretty good weather. It wasn't too chilly. <laughs> uh, great to have you back on the show, Pete, as ever. Uh, and we've also been joined. We've got someone from the world of, of football media after. What's been a, a whirlwind week uh, in the world of football, and that is uh, sport witness, witness journalist and Evertonian Sean Lunch. Sean, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Been a busy week for you? Yeah, definitely. It's a uh, reaction to the Super League's been a bit over the top in Europe, to say the least. So uh, that's been fun. And I, and I think I think that's that's the the place we're going to start. We're, we're going to look back, obviously, on the. The, the win over Arsenal on Friday as well. But I think, you know, all the talk this week from it was Sunday, wasn't it really? Uh, last Sunday into Monday, Tuesday. And, and since then, um, the, the news over the this potential breakaway Super League, uh, which in, incorporated six English teams, uh, came out. And there's been a lot of uproar from from the get-go. Uh, some, some strong words from the likes of, of Gary Neville, Carragher on Sky on, on Monday Night Football. Um, but Sean, obviously, as I said, you, you'd be, you're heavily involved in the in the football media world. And you said that the reaction, especially, you know, especially in Spain, has been has been a bit manic as well. What has it been like? How, what, what, what have you seen over the, the last sort of five, seven days um, across Europe, really, in terms of people's reactions to the Super League? Well, it's been a bit strange because in England we had a very dramatic reaction to it, didn't we? So as you said, we had Carragher and Neville and they just blasted it straight away. Everyone here was against it completely and that was it. And then we had in Spain and Germany, it was it was very much like the Dirty Dozen was one of the headlines, I think. On the, I think that was AS or Mark or someone like that in Spain. So they, there was a negative reaction to it. And then we had Perez come out and do his interview in which he very much presented Real Madrid as victims, like football can't go on, 
and we all sat here to sort of well, it can because it will, won't it? Let's be honest. Just because you've been spending 120 million on Eden Hazard and now your finances are ruined, doesn't mean we need we need our football ruined to save you, basically. And then there was a bit of a turning in that, in that he started to react to Klopp because Perez obviously had to go at Jürgen Klopp, didn't he? A bit back at him and his comments. So then it sort of changed and it, it become very much the European media, especially in, it was especially in Spain, but that's obviously dominated by them protecting their clubs. But they started sort of to protect it, whereas over here we were very much against it and have stayed on that sort of route, that path of we don't like it, we don't want it. Whereas... Once Perez came out and did his bit, it sort of the tide sort of changed a little bit, and it become a bit more. Oh right, okay, well we need to save Real Madrid now because our clubs are, and Barcelona as well because their finances are in the pits. It's it, and it's strange that isn't it? I mean, obviously you understand that there's um, a bit of, a bit of tribalism, I suppose, as, as time has gone on. Um, but I think from our point of view, like you said, over here it's been so strong. People have been so strongly averse to it, you know, straight away, like you said, Neville Carragher just shot it, shot it to pieces on Monday Night Football. Um, you know, the, the, we, we've seen over the course of the last the last week there's been there's been protests. Chelsea fans were, were blocking the, the bus getting in when they were playing at home to Brighton. Um you've seen protests outside the Emirates, you've seen protests outside Old Trafford, you've seen about 25 people lying in the streets around Anfield, clapping the bus coming. Um, but we, we've seen real strong objection, and I think you know fr- from from my side here. Yeah, when I first read about it, I felt a bit. I I felt physically sick, to be honest. When when I read it, I mean, it's been on the horizon, you know, for a little while. It's been spoken about, hasn't it, for a little while on and off. And then you see the uh, the project big picture thing over here as well, which which was touted and and what have you. And when you when you sit down and read about it. I I feared I feared for for football in this country going forward. Take away the European aspect, but I feared for football going forward. And the the, the anger built up in me. And I I said obviously to, to the lads, I was quite keen to try and record sort of the start of the week. I was chomping at the bit because I was I was angry. Um, but let's 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 bring let's bring Lee and Pete in at this point if we can. Um, Pete, what what were your thoughts? Were you you know as we said the you know, I was very angry. The country in general was very angry about it. Politicians, etc., were kicking off. What were your feelings when you when you first heard the news? I looked. At, I mean, there's so much you can say about it, isn't there? It, I, I almost think one one podcast is enough. I think we could fill so much time with this because this has sort of been mooted in the past, hasn't it? You've you've read the odd sort of newspaper story about it. Um, you know, certain clubs wanting a some kind of super league or a breakaway. I don't know about you lads, but I've never sort of taken it seriously. I've just, I, whenever I've read anything like that, I've thought, oh, no, never happen. You know, how how could they get that over the line or how would that work alongside Champions League? So it's the, the brazen sort of arrogance of them to, you know, to try and force it through without any sort of negotiation or liaison with, you know, FIFA or UEFA or the Premier League or, you know, any of the, the sort of European leagues. You know, two to sort of do it during the pandemic when we've had no fans. So not only have they not consulted, you know, governing bodies in football, not consulted fans. You know, and I think I said to you lads in some of the group chats, you know, you look at the history of some of the clubs that are joined the so-called Super League. You know, that say the likes of Inter Milan. You know, have got sort of a, a section of fans that are considered ultras. 
for a long, long time, they've sort of campaigned against, you know, modern football, inflated prices, inaccessibility of football for the fans. You know, I've seen Barcelona fans do the same at European games. Barcelona and Real Madrid have had, you know, a very um, sort of conflicted relationship for a long, long time over, you know, capitalism in football and use of government money in football. And it just seemed bizarre. It just seemed like it was a a collection of a powerful minority of owners in football who did not understand the game and who were completely, you know, sort of detached from the fans and the meaning of the sport. And I think that's what's called caused the outrage, really. Um, so I hope it goes away. And I, th- I think UEFA have to sanction them. You know, I, th- I think they have to come down on them hard. Otherwise, it will just come back, like you know, like some kind of pimple. It will just pop back at another point or... You know, they'll create some kind of euphemism for it. I think the fact, as the lads have said, that Perez is still sort of harping on about it. And Real, is it sort of Real, Barca and Juve are sort of saying, we're, we're sticking in it, we're sticking with the project. I think, you know, no, this just shows you've got to come down on them. You've got to come down on them hard, you know, and show that, you know, fair competition sort of rules overall. You know, I won't run on for too long, but, you know, you, th- you think about, the everyday experience of watching the game, stuff like tactics, man management, you know, fitness, who's available, squad rotation, the manager, all of that stuff, all of those variables are based on some kind of good enough fairness of competition. You know, the fact that you can have Burnley play against Man City and Burnley have got a chance, you know, depending on who's available or how, you know, Sean Dice sets them up or how he looks to sort of exploit the weaknesses. That's what makes football exciting. You know, and I just think this sort of idea of having 15 clubs who are immune from any sort of relegation, you're just franchising the sport. You know, you're creating some kind of, you know, Americanized model of, of competition, which just, it's not how we do things in Europe or, um, or in England either. So I just think it's wrong on so many levels and it's got to be squashed out. It's created by the poor, stolen by the rich. That's that's the banner that comes to mind, isn't it? For me, it's for me, it's capitalism out of control, you know, and it really is. It, it's it's pure and utter greed, and then that's all it is. The collective debt of those clubs, those so-called twelve clubs, is over seven billion. So it's it's clear as day why the reason they're doing it. You know, <clears throat> they've been operating as a business horrendously. Most of them, most of them are highly debted. Um, and this, they see this as the only way out, the only the only way out of getting out of this situation, guaranteed from JP Morgan three hundred million a year, and still be able to go back and play in the Premier League, as well as earning three hundred million quid a year. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace, absolute disgrace of the fact they've tried to do that. And like you said, Pete, this isn't going away. It's not all of a sudden now. Well, we've knocked down the tree. That's it. It's not. They need. There needs to be now for me. There needs to be a severe deterrent. And that's not because we're Evertonians and all this comebacks is kind of like, oh, yeah, if you'd have been invited, you know, you, you, you'd have jumped at it. It's, well, we don't know the answer to that, do we? We honestly don't know. Would Farhad have done it? We don't know. You'd like to think he wouldn't, with, you know, what our club stands for. But you never know. We'll never know the answer to that. But that's not, that's, that's not the question. And a lot of fans coming back with that. It needs to be a collective effort. And to be fair, all the fans all came together on this. And if there's anything to be seen from that, that that is, you know, from this week, one of the positives, isn't it? That all the fans across the whole league came together and said, no, we're not having this. This is a step too far. And if there isn't a severe deterrent, this will come back again. 
like Pete just said, it'll be two, three, four, five years. It'll come back in a different guise. You know, there, there may well be a relegation. They may guarantee the top 12. You'll have five years in this league, but then, then relegation might kick in and people can come up from the different leagues if they win their league and things like that. It's, it's, it's pathetic, but that's what will happen. It's not going to go away. For me, they need to they need to find finds are pointless in this scenario. Most of these guys are billionaire owners, very wealthy benefactors. So for me, dock them points and give them a two year ban from Europe. They won't do it again then. Well, some clubs won't do it again then. You'd think because then there's you know all this argument of kind of like a lot of like managers coming out. Well, it's not it's not the players or the or the managers' fault or the fans' fault. Well, okay, I can kind of understand that. It's the owners at the very top. But at the same time, if a club goes into liquidation, who gets punished? You know what I mean? The club is a collective. It's a collective. It's not just one individual. It's a collective. Okay, in this instance, individuals have obviously tried to you know, pull their clubs away from their homes. But at the same time, the punishment has to be severe. It has to be. And you know, I, I, I applaud Neville and Carragher, what they've done this week. Particularly Gary Neville, he's been, he's been excellent for me this week. Um, in terms of a lot of the points he's made, very passionate, even against his own club. But when it came to what, what stuck in my throat a little bit, I'd be interested to see what you guys think, is when it got overturned and then Carragher, they were, I think they were interviewing, interviewing Carragher and Neville at home, weren't they? And Sunas was in the studio. And then when they kind of got put on them going, OK, are we get, what, what's, what's the actual uh, you know, the repercussions of this then, guys? Are we going to give them points deductions? Are we going to ban them from Europe? And that straight away, they were both like, oh, well, hold on, hold on. Well, that's a bit severe, isn't it? It's not the players' fault. You know, they've come out and said sorry, and oh, the owners have come out and said sorry. You know, John Henry's done his little video, the most insincere apology you've ever seen in your life. Do you know what I mean? And then that's, that's you know, now, now all of a sudden, if they're kind of, you know, they, you can't go halfway and, and condemn it and then turn around and kind of go, well, yeah, but look, let's just like accept the apology. The apology is enough. Well, no, it's not. It's not enough because we both, we all know it's not a sincere apology. It's an absolute disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace what they've tried to do to the game. And as I said, you know, you can almost make an argument. And I, I, I'll, I'll say, you know, fair dues to Carragher on, on the show. He said when Sky came in and created the Premier League in 1992, you know, a lot more football fans think that's when football started. You know, you've got to remember that Man United had won six titles by 1992. I think there's been 29 Premier Leagues since then, or we're in the 29th Premier League. United have nearly won half of them. You know, so if there's anyone that's benefited from money coming into football at the same time as their class in 1992 came, it's that football club. Do you know what I mean? And only, uh, what is it, apart from Liverpool, who won it last year, Leicester, who's obviously, you know, a complete outlier, Blackburn, who were bankrolled at the time, at the very start of the Premier League, there's only four teams that have won that Premier League more than once in nearly 30 years. So something needs to be addressed about that as well, because there needs to be more competition. Guardiola's right. There needs to be more competition. City and Chelsea have bought their way into, into, into this position, and they were allowed to do it without the repercussions of FFP. You know, we can't do that, can we? We have to operate within our means. So we have to do it on a very gradual basis. So maybe something needs to be looked at with that as well. Because it's not just about, obviously, this breakaway Super League. It's also about fairness in competition. Um, that's that's my that's my piece on it anyway. I think I think I mean you've been uh, quite vocally in the past about you know the Premier League and how there's a, there's a massive uh, gap between you know the finances at the top and the bottom and how it's not a level playing field. Which obviously it, it 
you know, that, that that comes into the whole talk of this this Super League as well, to be honest. But if we pick up in regards to how things have shifted in in recent days, really, um, you mentioned there about you know some people are sort of cha- changing the stance. We we've heard uh, Klopp come out yesterday and and call for calm. You know, it it's gone now. We we need to deal with it, but everyone just needs to calm down. And I saw. Well, I tell you what annoyed me as well. Henry Winter had, had tweeted something about. Um, you know, it's not going to be any kind of points deductions, this, that, and the other. The, the the punishment will be that when sides play these six clubs going forward, they're going to be more motivated to beat them. I mean, what is that nonsense? You know, we, he's a very, very well-respected journalist, and, and rightly so. But that is absolute nonsense. And that's the problem for me as well. As well as, obviously, <clears throat> these six clubs, you know, having this, this arrogance about them and, and thinking that they can... They can do what they want and and go away from the from you know the the ethics of of football in this country and and so on. It's it's the fact that we do have the likes of Sky Sports, BT obviously uh, as well, and and some of those in uh, who write for newspapers who have given them this title of the Big Six. So for, for me, they they're almost complicit in this this uh, this Super League. They're the ones who've given them this this big tag. They're the ones who who all the time talk about these teams, advertise these teams, put them on a pedestal, you know, give, give them so many more column inches and air, more airtime than other clubs, etc. So we understand certain clubs sell better than other clubs, but they are complicit in what's happened in modern football, and that's that's what we need to to be getting away from. For me, there's there's got to there's, this has got to be stamped out and stamped down on hard. You know, we, we can't be in a position again where, like like you said before, two, three years time, if not sooner, the way Perez is going on, that we're greeted with a similar a similar structure being brought up again and a similar breakaway Super League, as you say, maybe a few different permutations here and there, but basically the the, the same thing, just dressed up slightly, slightly differently. You know, I, I, saw, I saw a great point by someone who actually said, if you look at whatever they're trying to do at the moment in terms of We've got a stadium, good to go, Bramley Moor, obviously. Uh, that will also have a, a great community legacy and project left behind at Goodison. Um, what Liverpool, and we say Liverpool because obviously they're, they're our, our local rivals, what Liverpool have been involved in with this Super with this uh, super League and the so-called Super Six in this country, they basically have jeopardised a project that is absolutely massive for the regeneration of this city and the recovery of this city from a glo- from a global pandemic. Let's get it right. What they what they are involved in or what they were involved in jeopardized us moving to Bramley Moor. And that, that is that that is the God's honest truth. It was concerned straight away. I know the S wrote straight away, listen, if this this goes through, that's gonna have ramifications for people who, who want to invest or who are looking to invest in Bramley Moor because they want guarantees on their return. And if we can't qualify for the the, the top European competition or the top European competition as it is now does not include, you know, 15, 20 major clubs. Then the money going around in European football and this football is going to be a lot less. And that's what they've done. Now we we can't we can't forget that. We we can't just sit there and say that that's okay. You know, and if I mean the way if you're going on now, they're not going to put any kind of punishments towards these these sides. He pretty much said that. As much as they were strong initially, UEFA, 
they're backing down, aren't they? And he said, oh, great to have you back on board. And listen, it's nonsense. It's up to the Premier League now to do something about these six clubs in this country. And whether they've got the bottle and the backbone to do it, I don't know. I'd love to see points deduction starting next season. I'd love to see, you know, bans from European competition, but I can't say I can't see it via UEFA. Uh, there's talk of removing obviously executives from the Premier League board from these six clubs. That's a that's a start. But th- this this needs to be brought down on really, really, you know, from a really, really high level. Uh, needs to be brought down on hardly. Otherwise, we we basically we're going to be back at exactly the same points again if we don't come down on it. And with this, you know, this overwhelming fan support, you know, this has got to keep on going. The call for calm is nonsense. I understand we're in a pandemic and we don't, you know, we don't want to have people in large groups protesting. I, I get it. I understand that side of things. But you can't say when our national game has been jeopardised by six greedy clubs, six arrogant clubs. And I say clubs, not just owners, clubs, because they are they, they are representing their club. When we've had that jeopardised, but that just can't that can't be allowed to just happen. It's just bang out of order. But Sean, what 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 are your thoughts on on punishments? Do you think that it should it should be punished severely? It definitely. I can just before I say that before I say the piece on the punishments, the media the media angles are very interesting one because we definitely have seen a an about ten from the big media. Obviously, we know the big clubs get better attention, but you get a lot of, like Henry Winter was the big one with the punishments, that's punishing fans and players. But he wasn't saying that for Portsmouth, Wigan, Bury, all the long list of other clubs that have been punished because of bad administrations. And suddenly because Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, you know, these top six clubs, so to speak, are about to be punished. It's not fair on the fans. What will... And then we had Jürgen Klopp saying yesterday that they're just representatives of Liverpool. But if you're not one club and you're all doing going in the same direction, then what's the point of the football club? It's all together or not at all, isn't it, really? So uh, it's unfair that the fans and the players get punished because they've not done this. But at the same time, you can't not punish them and let them get away with it. And at that point about arrogance is the, is the, is the interesting bit because they're so arrogant that they think they can do this, go, oh, sorry, put put their chief executive or the owner in front with a, but with a vase of yellow flowers, and we'll all go, yeah, okay, that's perfectly fine. Let's just get on with it. They're arrogant enough to think that we're not going to stand up against it. And I, I, that's why I think the punishment has to come in. You have to say, no, we can't have this. You can't be doing this. Because, this, as you say, this has been going on for five, six years. Every, every time they want some more money from UEFA, or they want a little bit more solidarity or safety for themselves. They bring up this big, this Super League idea and the threat with it. And it's, uh, and that's what I initially thought it was. It was them again. Hey, well, here's what we'll do if you don't give us what we want. Again, going back to the arrogance. If they want, they want the league and European competition to benefit them. They don't want the likes of Everton or Leicester or even West Ham this year getting in and upsetting the apple cart. I mean, as Everton, as Everton fans, we know about this. When Everton finished above them in the, at Liverpool in the league and Liverpool won the Champions League, they changed the rules to get them back in it, which ended up negatively affecting Everton. And we lost out on that. And we lost out on the football and the money and all of that that year just because Liverpool hadn't been good enough in the league. And that's what they want. They want that system that always protects them. 
And that was what the basis of the Super League was as well, with the lack of relegation. They were always guaranteed the most money. I mean, when you delved into the finances of it, there was no point in any of the other clubs outside of the top tier that were in it, being in it. You'd, you'd spend a year getting battered by these clubs who've got four or five times as much money as you and get £100 million for it. What's the enjoyment in there? Where's the Where's the fun? The idea of the actual essence of football in there. There's no fun factor in that for me. But they thought, well, the fans will take it because we'll give them a, a nice new signing every summer. And I think you do have to drill down on that and say, no, we can't be having this. We can't be having you coming back every year and saying, well, we need a little bit more money because our finances are in the hole and we'll we'll screw everyone else over basically just because we need this we need this money. So I don't think anything this season can be done. Points deductions this season would be pointless at this at this point because. What what what's it going to achieve? Because if you're just going to ban them from Europe next year anyway, then that, that it makes no difference to me. So I would rather see them as next year. Maybe I think banning them from Europe would make sense personally, because they didn't want to be in the competition in the first place. So they should they should have a year not playing in it, and then and then the teams who've actually earned their places and who were willing to stay with the league should get the benefits of that. And I think that would be great, personally, those big tides all out being outside of Europe for a year. You know, you get you, you get you get a whole a year of Champions League with the likes of West Ham and Leicester and everyone, and I think that would be great, personally. And it'd show it, it would show these big these super six these super these big six sides that actually they're not as powerful as they think they are. Seferin needs to stand up here. He was quite vocal when 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 it first came out. You know, I mean, he was quite you know damning of the whole project. He needs to stand stand by his words now and get rid of some of these clubs. You know, let's not forget. Whilst all this has been going on, you know, UEFA have just brought out this coefficient ruling as well in the background. Do you know what I mean? Which is again another disgrace in itself. The fact that they can finish outside of the actual places on merit and still get into the Champions League because of a coefficient. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing that. I mean, a lot of these clubs are over leveraging. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know whether you saw the comments, uh, Sean, from um, Javier Tebas, the you know the president of La Liga. He came out and, and was bang on with his comments. I'll read some of his comments here. He said, "This isn't a problem of revenue. These clubs need to reduce their expenses. We don't need to keep increasing earnings so that players can have seven Ferraris instead of six. This is a problem of distribution. My position is very clear." We don't need to increase revenues. We just need to manage expenses. We are not ruined financially and we don't have to take, take exceptional measures. He's bang on, absolutely bang on with that. It's a case of, you know, you're spending way more than your means here and you're still massively in debt. Real Madrid, well, what a Barca, over a billion in debt. Real Madrid not far behind. And then Real Madrid go and announce, oh yeah, we're getting David Alaba on 400 grand a week. Well, how does that even make sense? You're massively in debt. You're getting further into debt. Like you said, they've spent a fortune on Hazard recently. Oh, we'll just go and get a guy on nearly half a million quid a week. Like, it's, it's, it's a joke how they can still get away with doing that. And in Spain, it's worse than here because in Spain, the TV money, I think I'm right in saying this. I mean, Sean, you'll probably know better than me. 50% is given out to Real Madrid and Barca and then the rest is divvied out to everybody else. I mean, how have you got any chance of getting in and competing against that hierarchy? And in Italy, it's the same. No wonder Agnelli was all over at Juve. You know I mean, again, another, another club in debt, another club that has massively leveraged. They've got loads of players on big wages. They win the, uh, the league pretty much every year for the last 10 years. 
and again, similar issue again. It's 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 something needs to change. Something needs to change. Look, we're Evertonians, we've got a bias towards our club. But if we honestly ask ourselves, in this current format of the Premier League right now, can you see us winning the Premier League in the next 10 years? Realistically, if we're brutally honest, it would be a massive effort to do that, wouldn't it, to compete against these guys? If it stays in this current format, it would be nearly impossible for us to win the league in the next 10 years. Because like you just said there, Sean, it's, it's, it's an amalgamation of like, you qualify for the Champions League, you get through the group stages, you earn more money, you earn more money again. You get more sponsors, you earn more money. And that allows you then to go out and pay the big wages. The wages, the key bit, it's the wage bills to be able to buy these players and compete at that top table. And that's why the same teams pretty much year on year on year qualify for the Champions League. And it's just a revolving door of that, just constant. And then you're fighting a system. And that's why a lot of fans, to be fair, have switched off from football. There's still obviously a lot of us that follow it and follow it passionately. But there's also a lot of fans in a certain generation that go, this is almost pointless here. We're fighting a losing battle. So something needs to change. Something definitely needs to change. They, they are on about changing the models, things like that. Will that actually happen? The government have come in and said, yeah, we're going to do a review of it. Is anything going to come of that realistically? Some, something definitely needs to change, definitely. I mean, we've got a wealthy owner now. But, you know, as I said, what, what were the words he used the other day, Mike, on, on talks? What financial unfair play, he said, didn't he? Mm-hmm. It's financial unfair play. That's not allowing us to... It's a closed shop for these guys over here. And we're not allowed to get into the shop, even though we're trying to knock on the door. And that's why it needs to change. Something needs to change to allow more competition in sport, which, as you said, Mike, I've been quite vocal about in the past, is good for the sport. And Guardiola said the same thing, and he's probably one of the best managers out there. And that, for me, is, is, is massively critical uh, coming on from this. And on, on the Everton points, obviously, you, you mentioned Farhad this year. You went on, went on talk sport at the... At the start of the weekend, obviously, he was, he was quite vocal um, in terms of condemning the project, and rightly so. Um, but if, if we touch on Everton's reaction to the whole the whole saga, I think it's fair to say that it was Tuesday Everton's uh, statement came out, and it's fair to say that we were the side who, who led from the front, in, in my opinion. You know, all, all you know, the majority of other sides put statements out and, and what have you. I think we were the first. We were the first to do so. And I pick up a couple. I pick up from the start of the statements in May. Just to, if anyone's not seen it, I'm sure you all have. But very, very strong in our in our condemning of this. Um, Everton is saddened and disappointed to see proposals of a breakaway league pushed forward by six clubs. Six clubs acted entirely in their own interests. Six clubs tarnishing the reputation of our league and the game. Six clubs choosing to disrespect every other club with whom they sit around the Premier League table. Six clubs taking for granted and even betraying the majority of football supporters across our country and beyond. Um, they also go on to state about the um, the self-proclaimed Super Six appearing tense on disenfranchising supporters across the game, including their own, by putting the very structure that underpins the game we love under threat. Um, and the main thing I got, I got from it that I've used quite often over the um, over the course of this week is when we've um, within that statement we've issued out basically two words that everyone is 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 hanging off and that that is preposterous arrogance and those two words pretty much sum up these six clubs and the way they've gone about their their business 
very, very cloak and dagger, secretive meetings on Zoom, everything behind closed doors, no one else involved, all very, very secretive. And preposterous arrogance is is just about right in terms of how we can sum up the whole saga of the Super League and the behaviour of these six clubs. But Pete, what, what are your thoughts on Everton's Everton's reaction to it and Everton's stance? You know, because I, I certainly sat there reading that statement on Tuesday morning, listening to Farhad Mashiri, reading Bill Kenlight's uh, this article in the mail this morning, uh, or last from last night, that uh, Bill Kenlight has been interviewed as well. I sit there and read the words of our club with immense pride, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I was really proud. I was really, really proud. And it, I just, you know, I felt class once again from uh, from Everton. And in a way, I, I felt slightly disappointed that more clubs didn't come out and do something similar, really. I think there was a lot of humour, wasn't there, on, I think, on social media. And, you know, I enjoyed a lot of that humour. I thought a lot of the stuff from, say, like Southampton and, um, and Wolves and stuff was, you know, it was funny, it was well-timed, but... I felt more clubs should have come out and made more of a, a sort of a, an impassioned, strong stance, really, to say, you know, actually, you no, know, we make up the Premier League as well, and this is what we think about it. Um, you know, whether that will happen in time, I don't know, but it just it seemed like a really good opportunity for a sort of united front. So I felt like Everton sort of led the way, really. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's slightly odd, really, that more clubs didn't come out and do something similar. But it's nice to sort of see what you think your club stands for, sort of represented in the actions of the club. Um, that, you know, Everton yet again is something to be proud of. But like you were saying there about the preposterous arrogance, I was reading the, um, the Seraphim uh, interview um, and he said that he's never met anybody like Ed Woodward. He said he's worked in criminal law for over 20 years. And he spoke with Ed Woodward a couple of weeks before the Super League announcement. And Woodward told him he was thrilled with the um, the changes to the Champions League format. He was completely on board, uh, that he had no issues. Uh, and then, yeah, completely cloak and dagger. Next thing, this announcement comes out. So I think that tells you all you need to know about the people that have, have made these decisions. And it's such a shame that those people have so much power in football. But I, I think this is what it's about, you know. We need this sort of the ultimate display now to show that you're not bigger than the sport. It was a sad state of affairs. Uh, Sky Sports came out, one of their journalists came out the other day, didn't he, and said, um, yeah, true story, one of the owners turned up on his first game after buying the club, uh, sitting in the director's box, looked down on the pitch and said, which team are we? And then um, that, got, that got, another journalist came out um, and came out and said, yeah, I'm taking it as 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 they they obviously knew it was otherwise they wouldn't have wouldn't have come out and said it. They had a reasonable following. They said, "Yeah, it was John Henry who said that." <laughs> so, so that that tells you everything you need to know. I, I I've been in the director's box in Liverpool when it first opened, um, uh, shamefully, but I was there. But there, there was, was some clients, and literally the guy sitting next to me, right, had a, had a pair of Man United tracky bottoms on in the Liverpool box, <laughs> watching Liverpool watching Liverpool against Arsenal. With a pair of Man United tracky bottoms on, I mean that, that just tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? Yeah, you know I mean, literally, he's probably a yank. If I'd have probably spoke to him, he's probably a yank. You know I mean? so, yeah, was half and half scarfly as well. <laughs> yeah, half and half scarf on. But that's what clubs want, you know. Clubs, clubs want now. They don't want the season ticket holders. You know, they don't want them anymore. You know, the the, the, the lifeblood of the club. Because you know, I, I read somewhere recently again. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is true, but. Liverpool, whereas if someone, if, if a season ticket holder was to pass away, 
and that normally could pass it on to a family member or something like that. Now it goes back to the club. You know, they, they don't want season ticket holders there, do they? What they want is they want a guy coming over from Norway or coming over from Asia who's basically going to spend 200 quid in the, in, in, in the, in the shop. That's what they want. They, they want it to be a day out of Disneyland. You know what I mean? Come over to get it all over social media, get it all over Instagram. And that's, and that, and that's the sad state of affairs we're in. And that's not football. That's not football as we know it. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a room for a small element of that, but that shouldn't be the overriding element of it, should it? So, I mean, some of the statements coming out this week were, were shocking. Um, you know, I can't remember, was it United who came out and said, um, yeah, it's actually the, 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 the revenue and profits of this club become, come, because we're a business, become uh, before anything else in football. I mean, that's a sad state of affairs if they're coming out saying stuff like that. But, you know, we'll see what the repercussions are. A lot of people, uh, you know, touting the German model, you know, 51-49 with fan ownership. That's a big thing now to suddenly turn around and do. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, fair dues to Germany. They have got a lot of things right with football. You know, by being able to do things like that, they've been able to control ticket prices and things like that, haven't they? And, you know, they have kept the game in its roots in some ways. They've still got an issue with the same, same clubs winning the league pretty much every year. Um, but other than that, you know, they, they do do a lot of things right over there, don't they? Um, but you know, we'll we'll see we'll see how it plays out. But you know, it's been a really really crazy week for the game. Um, and as I said before, unless there's unless there's a deterrent, this is coming back again. Mm-hmm. What what are you, what are your thoughts, Sean, on on Everton's Everton's reaction? Um, has, has has that been much publicised across Europe that you've that you've read, um, or has it been very much covering the, their own teams in the, in other European countries? Uh, yeah, I mean, Everton's response hasn't had that much of a cover- uh, like coverage, but I think that's just largely because of the size of Everton. We, we're getting a lot of lot more international recognition now because of signers like James Rodriguez. That's seen us like blow up in South America. There's not a day goes by where he's not mentioned in the likes of Colombia and stuff like that. But when it comes to Spain, Germany, Italy, we're still we're not in the six, so we're not we're not really bothered by them. We get a bit of coverage in Italy because of Ancelotti now which is great, so there's always something to say about him. But in terms of Everton's reaction, no. Personally, for me, I thought Everton's reaction was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted my football club to say on the matter. It it, it echoed what I thought about it perfectly. And I think the way they said it and the words that they used, that preposterous arrogance, that sort of thing, it gave all the other clubs something to stand behind if they wanted to. So if there was anyone else who was sat on the fence or didn't know what to say, they could just go, We'll we'll have the same response as Everton. We'll sit behind that. It was a, it was a great standpoint for everyone else to stand behind and go, yeah, we agree, and this is obviously wrong. And I think that that comes from Everton having Denise Barrett Baxendale in charge. Did I say her name right? Then I think that was right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. She because she, she comes from the community side of things. I think she's very in touch with the Everton fans and their sentiments and what they think and how they respond to this sort of thing. And she leads that very well. And I think that does go through the club. So this 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 argument that's come out this week of, well, Everton would have taken it if they can. I personally don't think they would because they'd know that the fans would go against it hard. And I don't know about anyone else, but at Everton, I never feel like a customer. I do feel like I'm treated like a fan. which And there's a very big distinction. And I know a lot of Liverpool fans who don't feel that way. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the video of the young Liverpool fans from a few years ago outside Anfield where he was complaining about the tourist fans and Jürgen Klopp and the atmosphere and stuff like that. And that is that is the case. And I don't think that's ever going to be the case with Everton, even when they move to the stadium. 
you'll you'll try and attract these fans for that because you've got to bring the revenue in, but it will always be that very community based club. And so Everton when with their response stood by what I believe their morals would be in that situation, even if they were offered that money. And I think even if they were if they had been offered the place in this Super League, they would have said, Well, we want consultation. We'll ask the fans first. We'll we'll always go back to what the fans want and what what we think is best for them rather than what's going to bring us the most money into into our club. And I think mm-hmm. they, resp- they respond echoed that. Now, you're always going to get people who say, well, they're just jealous because they weren't invited, whatever. But I think that's looking beyond the problem. That if if we turn this into a, well, it was us and them, and it, you turn the fans on each other, then the issue's not sorted. And I think Everton, I get back to Everton's response, that gave everyone a, that that thing that stance to say, well, we know we're never going to we were never going to be a part of this with that. We couldn't respond and then go, well, actually, next year when they invite us, we'll say yeah. So Everton, have, I think Everton have made their point clear for now and the future, which for me is great. Yeah, I, I think so, I think so as well. I mean, oh, sorry, sorry, Mike. Sorry, I'm no, just just gonna just quickly just just mention if I can. I think obviously that the points on on uh, on Denise Bagger facts and they are absolutely spot on in terms of how in touch she is with the community side of things, and and I think it, it, her response. You know, it, it comes from the heart and, and very much a community perspective because it, let's face it, you know, we we are whether people like the tag or not, we are the people's club. We are the the, the club of the city of the people. You know, we we've always got the um, the community at heart, which is shown with the plans, obviously for for the legacy project at Goodison Park. And I think I think her words have been been brilliant. You know, we, we've since had an email was it on Friday confirming she's going to do a fan consultation as well in regards to. You know, looking to, to to shape football in this country again. We're going back to the fans, aren't we? It's always you know the, the club is there for us as supporters. You know, yeah, okay. We we uh, we know understand football is a big business. We understand it involves hundreds of millions of pounds every single year. But at the end of the day, football is is for the fans, the people that, that pay every single week to go and watch their team and travel up and down the country to watch their team. And um, I think I think it was. Bill Kenlight has spoken um, uh, in an article, as I mentioned earlier on in, in the Daily Mail, uh, came out last night, uh, early this morning. And one thing that I, I just want to throw out there from, from Bill, what Bill Kenlight has said, obviously he touches on the fact that we've now got Farhad Mishiri, who he's, obviously we're lucky to have him at the club. Um, but he said he, he, he has, he has in the past, before Farhad came in, he did have Americans who showed an interest in the club um, and the, the he, he had various eventualities put on the table and from a financial perspective. Uh, met, also mentioned relegation because that's part and parcel of, of our sport and our league. Americans asked what that stood for, what they are stood for. He explained the situation, and basically he said, "You've got to get rid of that if you want me to put money into the club." So he he very clearly um, puts blame at the door of the three clubs that involve American owners, so Liverpool, Man United and Arsenal in this case, as the ones who are the, the real the real players behind this behind this shift and behind this uh, this change because it's very much a, an Americanisation as as we've said already, um an Americanisation of, of English football. You know, no no relegation, no promotion. Um, you know, the, the same sides are, are guaranteed obviously so much money and that's not what it's all about. That's not that's not what fair competition is all about, and and Bill Kenlight has been has been quite strong in in condemning 
condemning those three clubs specifically. Uh, sorry, Lee, what were you going to say before? before I was going to say, well, I'll follow on from that. Com- compare compare Kenwright's comments to uh, the Donald Trump of football, Perez. You know what I mean? He was, he was coming out with absolute joke comments like, "Oh yeah, football's too long now. Kids, kids can't, can't haven't got the interest in it. We need to make them. We need to make it shorter." You know, they're playing video games now and all that. I mean, it's just like absolutely embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. I mean, the the guy, you can clearly see just from those comments alone, I'm sure you've talked about it in your circle, Sean, but he's a clown, isn't he? He's an absolute clown. He's shown himself to be that with some of the comments he's made as well. But there's no doubt about it. He he was obviously a ringleader. A lot of them were driven by the, sort of the American owners, weren't they? And obviously Agnelli at Juve as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously we'll, look, we'll we'll tie it up now, but I just think I think the whole thing, the whole thing needs to be needs to be reviewed properly, and they need to do a massive um, um, reconstruction of the whole of, of, of the Premier League as well. And this this is an ideal opportunity to do it now. In terms of you know what's what what are the FFP is going away, what's it going to be replaced by? You know, I mean, how is that going to affect clubs like us who are trying to sort of break into that into that uh, top six through that ceiling? How is it going to affect clubs like Leicester and people like that? So. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But Sean, you said before, don't take points off them this season. I, I, I think yeah, it's possibly harsh. But does harsh need to be the treatment? Even if you took twelve points off City next season, they'll probably still win the league, won't they? And that's the reality because you know their squad is ridiculous, uh, and that squad has been built in a very short space of time with a lot, a lot of money, isn't it? Because you've got to look at the likes of City, uh, Tottenham, and Chelsea. Before the money came into the into their clubs, what had they won as a collective? And that, and that and that's the truth, isn't it? You know, money has allowed them to get into those upper upper echelons. I think I'm right in saying Chelsea had won one league before Bramovich came in. I think Spurs had Spurs had won two. Spurs haven't won a title since 1961. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I mean that tells you everything. Um, and you know, Levy, great businessman, shrewd businessman. They've got a great stadium, but they are they getting in on the back of that? On the back of Pochettino's uh, tenure, you know what I mean? How do you, how do you even make up this top six? So, look, we've talked about it a lot, mate. I mean, I'm sure you want to go on and talk about some more positive things regarding regarding Friday night as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we could dis- we could discuss it at even more length, you know. But I think it's really important that we do we do sort of move on, move forward. You know, let let's see what does come of of any kind of repercussions. I don't hold out much hope, as I said before. I think I think UEFA and the Premier League are fairly are fairly weak, and they 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 will be quite keen not to upset these clubs too much. But then they still need to show that they are taking some kind of action. So we'll see, we'll see. You know, pre- prove us all wrong. Uh, but I think I think this this fan movement has got to continue. That's the key thing. When we're back in the grounds, listen, those shirts that I've I've put on Twitter, the preposterous arrogant shirts, they're getting printed up, and we're all going to wear them. When 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 the uh, the so called Super Six rock up to go to some park. We'll have all these T-shirts on. That's for sure. This fan movement has got to keep on going. This is only the start, and it's up to us to to make a change for the, for the better for our game. And let let's make it a fairer and let a more level playing field. But let's let's move on if we can. You know, we played Friday. It was great to play one of these sides so soon after the the news of the Super League broke. I mean, how how this side got in there as well is 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 baffling. Uh, when they're sitting ninth in the table as well, uh, but we we rocked up to the Emirates, you know, with the the backdrop of of major protest outside uh, from the the Arsenal fans, which was 
unbelievable scenes to be honest with you. Um, I think I think you other Pickford said they, they took a, some kind of secretive route and a different route to get to the game, so it didn't really impact getting into the ground. But um, it's fair, it's fair to say, Pete, we played a hell of a lot better in recent weeks as well, uh, and and not got all three points. But listen, three points is three points, and a massive win that was on Friday. Definitely, we we don't get many of them, do we? Uh, is Evertonians but performing like that and coming away with the three points, especially away. Um, and, and yeah, especially there. Gosh, what is it? Ninety six. The, the last time we uh, we won a game against Arsenal away. So, but you know what? First half, I, I thought we 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 weren't too bad. I thought we played some neat stuff at times going forward. I thought you know Dean was really getting high up on the left. That was causing them a lot of problems. He whipped a couple of great balls. We seem to have a, a sort of a strange formation, really, where sometimes I can never work out our shape. And you, you can't work out whether it's some kind of tactical genius from Ancelotti with some kind of weird free form going forward or um, you know, whether there's something else going on. But I think neither Sigurdsson or Hammers seem to be able to uh, get comfortable enough to really influence the game, really. Um and I, I mean, yeah. I mean, what what a strange goal it was as well. I mean, I mean, when you actually watch the replay and you see when uh, sort of Richarlison knocks it across, not not only is it a fairly bad cross, but it's going nowhere near the goal. You know, if Leno lets that go through his legs, it's just going to roll across. Um, so you know, some might say we got incredibly lucky. Others might say you know it evens out across the season, but we were certainly due a bit of luck. Um, I, I think from what's happened over recent times, I just hope now we can keep as many of those players as possible fit um, for the rest of the running because I think we could have a um, a good shout at pushing the top four. I don't think we'll break into the top four. I think that's Chelsea's all day really with the I just think the quality of the squad they've got and the the, the sort of upcoming running. Um, but I'd like to see us get as close as we can, and I'd certainly like to see us finish above Liverpool and Tottenham. Um, off the back of the conversation we were just having and it would be just desserts really, wouldn't it? Um, if we could pit them to that. But it's back in our hands now, isn't it, with that game in hand? We, if we win that, we climb above them both. Um, so it's, not, it's a nice position to be in and it makes football a lot more enjoyable to, to watch um, when you get that win in on Friday. I think, I think as well, we've been saying for quite a few weeks, I know obviously we've dropped points along the way in, in recent weeks, but we've been saying how important the games are against the sides in and around. Was an Arsenal, obviously, are included. Before the game, they were three points behind with a better goal difference. So if they if they beat us, they go above us. And that would have been, you know, a, a little bit of a, a kick in the teeth, I think, because, we, you know, we, we've been on the periphery uh, of, of European places for quite a while. Uh, obviously, the start of the season, we were right up there. As well, and I think if we if we continue to sort of drop towards mid table, I think then you you probably see um, the players drop off even more. Um, the season we played out with them wearing flip flops, and you just you, you don't want that. You know we've we've got Europe in the palm of our hands here. You know we we've still got to play Aston Villa twice, um, West Ham obviously as well. Wolves are not quite up there this season. Sheffield United obviously already relegated. Picked up a decent win last night, Man City. You know, we, there's some real, real big games left to play there. And like you say, you know, having having the game in hand. I mean, this 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 dreaded bloody game in hand, which never seems to be get getting reorganised. By the way, but we've got this game in hand, and you know, it's so important that we we now we now kick on. But 
I thought, like you said, Peter thought, I thought first half, we played some completion stuff, especially the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. Decent chance with Richie Allison that, uh, that Leno saved, and Calvert-Lewin just couldn't get to the rebound. Sigurdsson clipping the crossbar from a free kick as well. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought we probably shaded the first half. But Sean, what, what, what was your what was your opinion on 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 the game? You know, it wasn't wasn't probably one for the uh, for the neutrals to to really to really enjoy. But you know, I will take a scrappy one 0 win every day of the week. Yeah, it it was one. It was another one of those performances, wasn't it? It was just boring a little bit. There was not really much going on. Um, and Everton have been like that for a fair while now. Actually, I, I think. The football's not been great, but it's been it's been hampered by the players available. There's not really much of a midfield. There's not much going on. Calvin Lewin's dropped off a little bit, so it's it's been a little bit of a slog in the last few in the last few months probably. But that and and that get that game against Arsenal was was the was more of the same really. But except for this time, there was that little bit of luck that was missing against the likes of Brighton, even Spurs. That was another one with the, that little that last that last touch. A dodgy deflection was just going against Everton, and it's worked in Everton's favour this time. But as Peter said, I'll, I'll take that every day of the week because it's not really the performances that matters, just getting the points and hopefully getting into Europe this year, which is the aim. Um, mm. But I mean, it, yeah, it, it it was one of them where I don't really see what Everton are doing at the minute. That's not to say I'm against Ancelotti or anything of that nature. I'm fully behind all that. But there's there's no real discernible system or style at the minute. It's just sort of slogging it through. And I think this was another another game where you could see from Ancelotti that I'm not sure he wholly trusts what he's got at the minute. I think so. I think he's thinking either can open the team up and we'll go attacking and we'll try and score goals, which I don't think we're probably capable of because we haven't got the players at the minute. Or I'll play mostly defensive and try and keep clean sheets. And he he's done that. He did it against Arsenal. We've done it against Spurs and got in the way win there. We did it against Liverpool as well. They're all big wins that I think will in future make a difference. Next probably next season. Because you've got rid of these hoodoos, these hoodoos that Everton have had over them for a fair few years now, like Anfield and Arsenal and that particularly. Um, so, yeah, it was just one of those where it get you've got to get on, move move on from it basically. Mm. I think I think there's always a concern with us um, when we face face sides. You've got that bit of pace. There's one thing we we always say we lack is is pace. Um, and I did I think Arsenal if they you know. They had they had quite a bit of pace in in regards to, to Saka, um, Smith Rowe, and Ketty. Though he's he's quite quick. So if I think sometimes with us, I think Carlo's probably uh, quite averse to opening things up because he knows that you know on the counter we could be absolutely murdered. Because I, th- I think especially in midfield, in terms of getting a bit of cover from those who play in midfield, they haven't got the pace to recover, and that's always always a concern, especially obviously. No, Decore, and he might come back for the last couple of games. We don't know, um, but yeah, it, it's it's not it's not a time. It's certainly not attractive on the eye. Those kind of performances, you know, you look at the Spurs game of thoughts. We we were we were excellent in that game, bar bar two mistakes. It's the best we played for a good, a, probably probably since the derby, to be honest. Um, and you you were saying to to us, Lee, during the game, you, you felt obviously that the passing against Spurs was a lot a lot crisper. Uh, we, we looked a lot better against Spurs, and we, we didn't we didn't quite sort of transition that into into the game against Arsenal. No, we didn't, and uh, ironically, with a better team on the pitch against Arsenal as well. Um, I thought we passed it, you know, we passed it pretty well against Spurs. Um, we created more than enough chances. I think we we discussed it the other week, didn't we? Uh, the combined efforts on goal 
um, with Spurs and Palace was 36 shots. You know, so that 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 was you know a decent return certainly in recent times. Um, I have a tendency to agree agree with Sean in terms of you know it has been a slog for us the last few months, but I don't think Everton are alone in that. I think a lot of clubs, you know, judged by the fact that we've been on this poor run now, that's our first win in six. Yet we're still in the mix. So that tells you there's not many teams now. I would say are playing you know super attractive football. Um, I think a lot of these players now are getting. To be honest, the whole fact of no fans, the season's coming towards an end. You know, I think it's been a real tough season, isn't it, for a lot of them? You know, if you're if you're used to playing football in front of thirty, forty, fifty thousand every week, you can deal with it. You know, being sort of an empty stadium for so long, but a whole season of it, I think a lot of those players now are just no performing nowhere near their levels. Arsenal showed it as well in that game. You know, yeah, they had a lot more on the ball in the second half, but they didn't hurt us. They didn't really do very much at all. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to get the win, a little bit of justice. Um, you know, if you consider the points, like Carlo came out and said, look, we dropped two points against Palace there. We need to find those two points elsewhere. Well, that's the game, wasn't it? That's the game where we picked it up, where we've probably not deserved to nick it. As Carlo said himself, it, it was a draw all day um, and we've managed to get that little bit of luck. You know, compare that to the West Ham game at home. Again, a fairly even game. Chances, and they got the bit of luck. You know, the ball broke to Suchek and he had an empty net. You know, as I said to you before we started recording, you know, if we'd if we'd have nicked that if we'd have nicked that goal against West Ham, if we'd have nicked that we'd switch switch places right with them right now. You know, they're three points clear of us and where we've got a game in hand. So we we'd we'd switch places with them if we'd have managed to nick that goal. So that's how tight the league's been this season. Um and Carlo's not stupid. You know, there's a reason why Moyes is up there with West Ham. You know, you'd say you know he's a fairly pragmatic manager, really, isn't he? You know what I mean? Um, and you know he knows how not to lose a football match. And Carlo's a similar mould as well. You know, he knows. You know, we very. I can't even think of the last time really we've been absolutely spanked. You know what I mean? And 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 that's because Carlo is setting us up. He knows the fact that home advantage isn't really an advantage. Is that our tenth away win this season? You know what I mean, our fir- our first time we've done that since we won the league in '86, which is incredible. So you can imagine if we'd even had just a normal, half decent home home season. I mean, we'd be right up there, wouldn't we? So um, it's been a crazy season. We've just got to do everything we can now. I don't know what you boys think. We're probably going to need, aren't we, three, maybe four wins now at the last six. Um, it's still a bit ludicrous the fact we've not played Villa yet once this season and we're going to probably play them twice in the space of a month um, but um, yeah I think we'll need to win at least three or four to have a chance I mean the West Ham game now at their place is, is also a crucial match isn't it because it's effectively a six pointer again between us and them and trying to get into those positions but I have a tendency to agree with Pete now I think Chelsea Chelsea will uh, will definitely be up there. I mean, you saw the performance Tuchel did against uh, against um, Pep in, in the cup. You know, he, he had Pep's number there, so I, I can see Chelsea um, taking that final spot. And then it's, it's either going to be then Leicester or or possibly even Liverpool because they've got a really easy running. Although they they, were, they made a, a bit of a, a joke of the game yesterday, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, you know. We can all say that runnings are easy or difficult, but this season it's just so unpredictable, isn't it? Really, where you, you can you can have a real difficult running, and you can come away with say five with with points in in the five or six of of the final 
uh, six games. So I think it's difficult to sort of predict this season. It's we we know ourselves. Our home form is is really poor. Uh, you can say it's slightly improved in, in recent weeks. The fact we've drawn a couple of games, you know, we should have won both of those games. Um, next game we've got is Villa at home, which is vitally important yet again if we want to try and try and get European football. I mean, Aston Villa, you know, they, they've been in and around, having these sorts of floating around eighth, ninth, tenth for, for quite a while, and um, they're currently sitting just below on uh, in eleventh, but they've got. A couple of games in hand on on certain sides around them, and he played thirty-one. Obviously, one of the games in hand is against us on forty-four points, so they're, they're eight points behind ourselves. So that that's a big game, you know. If we can pick up three points against Villa, then the, you know uh, we're playing we're playing Saturday at eight o'clock, silly time on a, on a Saturday night to be honest. But we're playing Saturday eight o'clock. We can get ourselves up to up to um, to six with a win at that particular point, and psychologically. That's absolutely huge for us because we've been a bit, we've been stuck in eighth fit for quite a while, haven't we? You know, we haven't really been moving anywhere. And I think, from from the players' point of view, when you start seeing yourself yourself moving up, right at the back end of the season, you know, we've at the business end of the season, that that could be huge. But let's let's have a let's let's just discuss the Villa game if we can. Like I said, then Villa have, have been pushing in and around those positions themselves. A couple of games in hand on certain sides around them. Massive injury still to. To Jack Grealish, which has impacted Villa's form a little bit, I'd say. Um, but Pete, they're certainly, they're certainly a dangerous side, Aston Villa. And, and on the day when they turn it on, I mean, we know what, what we'd be like at home as well. They, they could definitely cause us some issues, I, I think, on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I think they've surprised a lot of people this season, really. And I, I think in a, a lot of ways, they've been really unfortunate with the, the injury to Grealish, who's just the, the heart and soul of how they seem to play, really. Um, and I think a lot of Villa fans will be saying, you know, what could have been if he hadn't have got such a, a long injury? Um, because, they, you know, they've been up there with us and the, and the rest of them, you know, let's let's be right about it. And I think they're one of the best counter-attacking teams going on the day. I, I think they, they remind me in, in a lot of ways of the the sort of Ranieri-Leicester side. I think, you know, really organised, play really well for each other, get up and down the pitch quickly. Um he seems to have sorted out the, you know, the defensive problems. Um, I think that targets a great player. Um, obviously, the goalkeeper has been inspired by. I know we we spoke about him a lot on the podcast. So I think it'd be a really tough game, you know, with, with or without Jack Grealish. Um, and I think every Evertonian will probably have one eye on whether <laughs> Ross Barkley plays um, and whether he, whether he has a blinder, given that he's been he seems to have been absolutely awful for. Uh, the past six weeks or so, um, but I, I think we can beat them, especially um, you know, especially at home. We've had a, a little bit of a longer rest. Um, you know, players seem to be coming back into the squad now. I mean, if you looked at our bench against Arsenal, it was probably the first time. You know, we actually had a few options of people that could come on and maybe actually make a difference to the game. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quietly confident. Really, um, yeah, I think we'll get the win. What do you think, Sean, in regard to the Villa game? Um, do, do you think that we can, you know, we can now turn our home form round at the back end of the season? You know, we, we're going to have hopefully fans in for the Wolves game, which would be great. You know, we're, we're looking a lot more than we had in um, for, the, for the games around the Christmas period. So we, we've got that hopefully to fall back on. And like we said, you know, fans are so important, to, you know, at, at any stage. But the Villa game, obviously, uh, first of May, Saturday, 
big game. Can we can we nick three points there? For me, it's it, it's one of those games that I think ever I personally think Everton should win, which means that they probably won't win it. Every time I've done a predictor or predicted anything with Everton, it's always been yeah they should be beating Burnley, they should be beating Crystal Palace, and they don't do it, and then they'll go and beat Arsenal away from home, beat Tottenham away from home, you know, be win win the winning the derby. So it, it's one of them where I think we've got better players, we're a better team, probably better coached. I like Dean Smith, but he's not matching up to Ancelotti. Let's be honest. Um, and they haven't got if they haven't got Grealish, then that's that's a bonus. But like Pete was saying, they, they are a good team on the day. They've got good players. Watkins has been in good form. Um, Traore's been good on. He's been a good signing for them this this year. Um, so it, it'll be tough. But if the fans are there, if there are fans there in any capacity, I think that will probably make the difference, especially for Everton. I think I've missed them. I mean, I, there's a lot of talk about it. Liverpool have missed the fans more than any other club, but it works for every club. And I think Everton have definitely missed them at home this year. Because you you get a you get a lot of people saying that Goodison's very negative and stuff like that, but when it's when it's up and it's going and it's pushing, it it, it makes a difference. And even a few fans in there will make a massive difference to that game. I, th- I think yeah, I mean it, it showed didn't it over over sort of the Christmas period when we had fans in for those for those games. Um, it, you know, a couple of thousand really helped push the side on. I think in in a couple of, of difficult games, by the the cup game against United that we. That we lost. I think I think it was a, a real a really big thing. But obviously, unfortunately, too soon for the Villa game. But if we can get fans in for Wolves, I think it'll it'll really help. Especially if we're fighting for for European places. If we're up there, sort of floating around fifth, sixth, seventh, and this this year at Europa Conference League looks like it's going to fall down to to seventh place this season. So that's going to be on the table as well. I think it's we've got a really big opportunity here, um, and I think it's vital. I think. Going into the summer, you, you you want to be you want to be in Europe for the next season. You want to be saying to to players who are coming, listen, you can showcase your, your talents on the continents, and you know you're going to be playing European football in whatever guys that may be. It doesn't matter to me if it's if it's Conference, if it's Europa, Champions League. You, you want to be in Europe. That's what attracts players. That's what the fans love. You know, hopefully, when we go into next season, uh, there's going to be a bit more European travel as well, so fans can get over. To, to various places and, and support the side and um, it's a really big thing but that Villa game Lee, is, is so important to us M- making making that next step and along the, the Ancelotti roadmap isn't it it's a vital game isn't it it really is it's a vital game um, as I said before Villa with Grealish and Villa without Grealish are a completely different animal for me up until his injury and even with his injury he's in with a shout of being one of the players of the season uh, I think he's been that good, Grealish, this season. He's only just behind Harry Kane in terms of um, goals scored and assists. Uh, he's had he's had twelve assists, six goals. Um, I mean, what we would do, uh, what we would have for someone like Grealish in our team now. Um, I mean, he'd be perfect for us in that midfield. Um, obviously, his price now would be extortionate, but it'd be interesting to see if actually anyone comes in from him in the summer. Um, but yeah, hopefully he won't be back in time for the game because, as I said, he makes that much of a difference for him. He's missed nine games as well and he's still got 12, 12 assists and six goals, like I said. He's missed the last nine games, uh, which is incredible, really. Um, but they've still got some good players. You know, um, Sean's just alluded to Ollie Watkins. I think he's been a good signing for them from the Championship. Um, I've always liked McGinn in midfield. He's a bit of an all-action midfielder, can do a bit of everything. Uh, Matthew Cash has been a good signing for them. Um, a right back 
Um, so yes, I think you know they will definitely cause us problems. Um, you know, the keeper as well, probably be for me, probably the keeper of the season, Martinez this season. Uh, I would say. Uh, and you look at look at Leno there. I mean, they've got rid of the wrong guy, haven't they? Um, but um, so yeah, so uh, I, I think I think it'll be a tight game, even with, even without Grealish. You know, they're better at the back than they were. Conza is another good player. Um, so let, let's let's see. We we just have to basically just give everything we've got now. The last last few games of the season, we didn't play our best last game. We managed to win, which is the main thing. Um, you know, most of those players should be back. Um, as, as as we showed against uh, the game against Arsenal, let's hope they click because they didn't really click didn't they, in the second half. Our passing was all over the show. Even even Hammers was wasn't really himself, was he? I mean, he was trying to make things happen, but he was getting caught on the ball. He was giving the ball away. Um, so if if we can pass it a little bit better, um, and just create chances for Dom because he didn't have a sniff in that game really. Um, with him back in the side now, we should be feeding him. If he can go on a little goal scoring run now between now and the end of the season. That could fire us into in, into the into the top six because we should be aiming top six still for me. Um, I know you say, Mike. Yeah, look, we want anything in Europe is is is, is anything is a bonus, but I think yeah, but I'd rather as minimum get Europa League. There's still a very faint outside chance of top four, but I think we've we've blown too many games now, haven't we? Um, it would it would need a real sort of set of results now for us to get into the mix with that. But why not? Why not aim for it? You know what I mean? Why not go for it? You know, Carl will be saying that to them. Let's just let's just shoot for the top four. Let's just do whatever we can. And if we'd fall just short of that, then we've got we've got second prize, haven't we? Which is like I said last week. You know, if you were to sit down and say what are our ambitions, we probably would have said probably Europa League would be the, the, the where where the squad is probably at at the minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, before we 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 move on, just to have a quick chat about uh, some. Positive news, obviously, this week with Marcel Brand signed his new his new three year deal. Give us your predictions for the game, Sean. We'll come to you first. Predictions for Villa? Uh, I think I'll go with a two one win for Everton. Two one, Pete. I'm going to go with a two nil. I thought we played some really nice footy at times against Spurs. Arsenal win, got a bit of luck. We're not our best, and I I think we'll um, we'll be impressive against Villa. Lee. Yeah, about time we had an easy home win, wasn't it? Where we can all relax and watch it. So uh, I'm going to say two nil as well. Two nil. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to complete complete the uh, complete the door there and say one nil Everton. Um, I think it's going to be a goal from Andre Gomez just to wind everyone off. Who slags him off? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave we'll leave that, that for another day that uh, that conversation. Uh, but as I said, very very quickly. Marcel Brand signed his new deal in, in the uh, in the week three year deal. Uh, there was a lot of talk in, in recent months that it was it was pretty much done. He was going to sign. Um, I think generally it's been it's been a real a real positive reaction to that particular news. I know I know Sean, you're you're a big fan of Marcel Brands, but what 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 are your thoughts on that in terms of going forward? Great in terms of stability for the club, isn't it? The fact that you know he's been here for a few years now. He's going to stay on. Uh, he's a big part of the team, isn't he? And it's it's vital that we have that stability with with him and Carlo uh, at the helm. Yeah, I I think that that stability bit is the the key point of the whole thing. He, it, it, I'm sort of looking at it now as he's done phase one, so this summer will be the end of that. He'll get rid of every player he doesn't want if he can. I mean, some of the players he needs to get rid of at Everton, nobody wants. So it's a it's a thankless task. 
to to get them off the wage bill. But I think he's done most of that now. So it now moves to the next bit, and they've got the established manager. They've got the basis of a really good team there, so he can build on that then in the, in the next part of his his contract. And I think what we'll see a lot more is him targeting people like Ben Godfrey signings like that where you can not cheap but you know you bring them in you develop them and you can sell Ben Godfrey at a profit now after his first season couldn't you and it'll be signings like him moving more moving down the line because I think when he inherited the squads it he couldn't target those players those type of players that you would associate with Marcel Brands these young players that can the club can develop and then potentially sell on at a bigger at a bigger price down the line or you know develop into stars and you've got these star players at Notton I don't think he could do that because the focus was getting rid of all these players that he'd inherited that you know, your Sandro Ramirez type of players that were never going to work. You need to get rid of, but are on massive wages. So I think that stability thing is is key now. And moving forward, that's great for Everton because that's the one thing that they've lacked. They've always had the project, but never the stability underneath it to, to build on it. And I think he's done that now. He's built a nice foundation. There's a good squad there to build on and then go forwards and do what he really wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, I said, obviously, the news is being treated positively. And, and rightly so. We put a poll out there and got a 91% of people were happy with Marcel Brands and his, his performance over the first, the first few years. Um, he's had a few critics along the way, I think. And I, th- I, think, I think people don't really understand the, the mess it, that, that he, he inherited and, you know, in the detail, you know, that he inherited because there's a lot of players there. Even, even now, like you say, Sean, he's coming to the end of this this first um, first little little segment really where he's getting rid of all the players that he, he doesn't want uh, anymore and we can now look forward to getting the likes of you know Ben Godfrey kind of signings coming through the door and building building the side properly. You know, there's still a little bit of a remnant of, of certain players knocking around. Um but they, they should pretty much all be gone. But but it's really important isn't it to understand what kind of job he's had to do, how big the job was for that first that first section these these first three years, how how uh, difficult it it's been for him to try and get us to, to where we are now. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, the magnitude of the job is huge, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's he's been involved. We said before he's been involved in over eighty transfers in a few years. I mean, that's insane. He's inherited, you know, squads from various different man- uh, players from very di- uh, various different managers who want to play different styles and need a different type of player. Yes, there's an argument to be made that you know the director of football should be in the background, basically regardless of the manager building, you know, a, a, a squad of you know like Sean just said, like Ben Godfrey type signings. But every manager is different. You know, some managers want more established players who can go straight in the first team. You know, so I think he's done a remarkable job in a short space of time, and it is important for continuity. The last thing we need is another director of football coming in, ripping it all up, getting a whole new scouting team out there again. And then you start, you know, that could take another year, year and a half. And then you start, you know, you're almost starting from a clean slate again. So for me, it's important that he carried it on. He's obviously had to think about it. I saw his interview uh, on the club website the other day. Um, you know, I think Ken Wright came out and said it took, what, less than uh, a round of Z cards for him to agree a deal, which is a great line. Um, but I think, I think ultimately he comes across very well as well. He comes across really well. I can imagine him, he's not an easy uh, guy to negotiate with. Uh, typically Dutch as well. Um, so, you know, he, he's, he's negotiated a lot of these prices down, um, you know, from some of the players we've, we've, we've brought in. I mean, even bringing in Hammers on a free, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's negotiation at the highest level, isn't it? In fact, you're bringing in a guy who was still in a contract and we brought him in for free. Um, says it all you need, all you need to know, really. Um, but I do agree with Sean there. I think the likes of, 
Godfrey's need to be the ones we're aiming at. We've been heavily linked again this week with Aaron's. You know, there's no smoke without fire there for me. I think that's definitely going to hopefully try and tie it up before the start of the window, at least, you know, first, first, first week of the window anyway, because we definitely need a new right side. So hopefully in the summer, you know, we can, we can sign a bit more pace at the right age in that team. Uh, again, we were linked last week with Leon Bailey. I know a lot of people like him. He's the type of profile we want to be looking at, isn't it? Um, someone of that sort of age category, someone, you know, who's clearly, who's clearly got talent, he's powerful, He's fast, direct, scores goals. That's exactly what we need from that right side. Um, so, yeah, so it'd be very interesting to see the team we kick off with at the start of next season. I'm sure we're all excited about that um, because two or three class signings in that squad, keeping everyone fit, um, you know, I think, I think we could be a really, really good team next season. Um, and a, a quick shout-out before I finish as well. On, on uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll want to mention it as well, Mike, on Jordan Pickford. Who's you know we were all we were all saying look we need a keeper we desperately need a keeper only a couple of months ago I think Carlo now probably thinking well look we can save a few quid in that area now because Jordan's been exceptional since he's come back in since the derby really um, and against Martinelli the other day that's a vital save that's that's the points right there isn't it that save at the end there um, and he did the same against Southampton um, as well with, with 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 a class save so he's come back in and he's clearly you know he's clearly more concentrated I would say we always know he's been a great shot stopper he's great with his feet it's his, it's his lack of concentration that's really cost him in a lot of games and I think you know shout out to Jordan for sort of proving the doubt was wrong last last couple of months Yeah Jordan Pickford obviously he, he splits the fan base as, as we all know he splits us most of the time as well And but we're, we're always keen to you know when a player does go on a good run of form it's you know, rightly so they are praised and and it's no different for Jordan Pickford, to be honest. And he, he certainly turned his season around, you know, greater than figured assured. And he just looks just looks switched on, basically. You know, I think the haircut helps though, to be fair. That his, his haircut now is an absolute belter. Um, and I might model it model it uh, on, on my own going forward, to be perfectly honest. Um, what, what did Carragher say? It's it's not a Sunderland haircut. That's what he said, that's yeah. What he, yeah, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah, it's uh well now he looks looks great with that slick back James Bond look, to be honest. But uh, no, you know, all jokes aside, I think I think he's definitely switched on. Um, he obviously had, he had a, a couple of little niggles this season, uh, a couple of little, little injury worries for him. Probably done him a little bit of a, a little bit of, of good, to be fair, to be taken out of the side. And you know, we can he's probably just reset and refocused him. And he looks, he looks, yeah, he looks totally switched on. Great save, you know, against Mar- uh, Martinelli. One of the three points there. Um, and that's what you want to see. We know Pickford's, we know what his, his strengths are, we know what his weaknesses are. All we ask for Pickford is just, as I say, to be concentrated. And he's, he's a good goalkeeper again. You know, long way, long way that continue. But please, I give you the final word on, on Marcel Brands. Wrap it up for, uh, for, for the listeners. Positive? Yeah, it's great news. It's great news. You look at the players he's brought in, all of them could be sold, arguably, at a, at a profit. Um, like he said, he's been involved in a, a gross amount of transfer activity he, he seems to have a real sort of hands-on approach as well with the players um that he's you know he's well respected he's well liked and yeah in response to people who say what does he do what does marcel brands do i want to say yeah what do you expect people talk like they want to see him at king's dock with a high vis and, and, and a shovel <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not, not a king's dock peter bramley moore i'd say if you're at king's dock it'd be 20 years too late 
But no, we'll get your points. I mean, all this what does Marcel Browns do? It's just it's just nonsense, isn't it? People expect expect miracles overnight, and he's come in and and you know, like we said, he's 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 done. He's worked wonders. Some things haven't haven't turned out, but if you look at look at Moise Keane as as an example, looks like he's going to go in the summer at a, at a profit. By the way, you know, he's gone to PSG. It suited him being over there in what you would argue would be a less competitive league, surrounded by obviously world world class players on a weekly basis. Uh, we know the kids got talent, but we'll we'll do a deal this summer that'll see us make make back our money and more. And that's that's the kind of thing. If things don't work out, then try and do a deal for the club that benefits the club. And that's just that's just one example. But like we said. If you sold Ben Godfrey now, you, you'd make a profit. If you sold Hammers, you'd clearly make a profit because we got him, we got him for nothing. Um, thanks look, to at Lucas Dean. look at Lucas Dean, mate. I mean, Lucas Dean now would go 50, 60 million, wouldn't he? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He would. He would go. For, and yeah. he pulled him out the hat, didn't he? You know, he, he was understudy to Albert at, um, at, Barcelona. Uh, at Barcelona, yeah. Barcelona. So, I mean, look, we don't want him to go. We, we, you know, he, he's, he, he's a class player, but... You know, if he did go now, because City is sniffing around for a left back on there, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they went in for him. Then um, what, 50, 60 million? You know what mm. I mean? And and and, oh, and yeah. that's that's the key. You know, that's the key is is signing players, right age, right price. And if we do have to sell them on, then so be it. You know, Leicester have done really well at that last few years. To be fair, you know, they, they've signed players at the right price and they've made money on them. You know, they they signed for Farner recently. He's been linked with United this week. You know what I mean, so you know that they could e- they could easily double or treble their money on him. Um, so it, it's so important in today's football if you want to be competitive against a lopsided league like we discussed before, you need to be shrewd and you need to be clever. Um, and that's where I think he he's definitely added to us in that respect. Yeah, of course, of course. So all, all positive this end. Great, great news for the club. Uh, great news going forward, and and we, we'll see Marcel Brands at work. I'm very busy, hopefully, this summer and bringing in some some more quality to the club. But that's us for this week, Sean. Thanks for giving up some, some of your Sunday morning to, to speak to us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure having you on, mate, and, and, and welcome any time. And we will be back next week ourselves uh, to look back at the at the Villa game. Um and also have a have a little look look at the look ahead to West Ham. So we'll catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.